Hey everybody, Sam Ellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 30th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The goal is always to be worth your time. Uh, this week, we, um, well, <laughs> usually this show, this time of year is going to be all about the Chiefs, right? But they're playing the Jets, and come on, like, do you really want to hear about that? Um, you know, if you do, fine. Like, we'll talk about Andy Reid here in a second. Um, but, you know, the news of the week is Kansas City's sudden pursuit of the NBA's Raptors, uh, who might need a temporary home this season. Uh, we're going to get to that. And then we'll have questions about the Chiefs and voting, about Andy Reid, and about how the Stars coverage team works together uh, to cover the Chiefs. Then I'm going to play you some of the conversation I had with Kansas City Mayor uh, Quentin Lucas about the NBA. A huge thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, uh, please subscribe. Give us a rating, a review. It helps us get the word out. Uh, we're working hard to present information and perspectives that you can't get in other places. Uh, the Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. A dollar a month for three months in all of our sports coverage. Uh, that includes more original Chiefs content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that link on our website or just reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email and, and I'll send it to you. Um, okay, we don't often have like real legit reason to talk about the NBA, like maybe, possibly, could be, might, there's a small chance come to Kansas City. Um, so we're going to take advantage. Um, you know, this probably goes without saying, but here it goes anyway. Uh, you know, personally, I've got a bias here, right? Like I would be enamored with having an NBA team here. Um, you know, the way that it would affect me professionally is probably obvious. Um, it would be amazing, something new, something big, something to dive headfirst into. You know, I'm all for it, like obviously. But, and you know, there's no way to fact check this obviously, but I'm convinced I'd have like 90% of the same feelings if I had a normal job. You know, I love basketball, always have. You know, having a team here to watch regularly would open up a new world. I think it would be great for Kansas City, too, though. Um, you know, full disclosure, I do have some concerns about how well we could support another major league sports team. You know, NBA tickets are expensive. And, you know, for all the great strengths we have here in Kansas City, you know, a hole in our game is corporate money. And, you know, my fear is that if we had a permanent team, that it would end up sort of like how the Royals are right now. Um, you know, TV ratings... I think would be strong, you know, maybe even among the best in the league. Uh, but I think attendance has a chance to be among the worst in the league. And, you know, the Royals are a bit different animal here. I'm not saying the Royals are a bad franchise or going anywhere at all. You know, there's so much history there and so many other factors. Royals fans show up when the team's good, all those things. But, you know, I'm just not sure that this is a good way to, you know, have and keep an NBA team. Um, you know, the Hopefully this goes without saying again. Sorry, guys, but I would do just about anything I could to see us give us a try. Uh, I, I really think there's a chance we could make it work, but I just have, you know, some of those hesitations. But anyway, look, like that's not the main point I want to make right now. Uh, we're not talking about a permanent team. Um, we're talking about being a one-year stopover for Toronto while, you know, the Canadian government has this ban on Americans traveling in. And um, I should say, hopefully, it's a one-year stopover, right? Because um, if it's longer than that, it means that, you know, not only is COVID sticking around for years, but it means we're significantly worse at managing it still than Canada. But, um, you know, anyway, look, like, no offense to my side gig as an infectious disease expert, but um, I don't think any of you are listening here for my COVID analysis. So um, let's get to the topic. You know, Kansas City has made it clear that the Raptors would be made uh, welcome.
welcome at T-Mobile Center. And the, the idea makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. It really does. You know, the Raptors cannot find a better and more available arena anywhere in the country. And, you know, particularly not one that's, you know, in a growing downtown with new luxury hotels nearby like we have, you know, from the league's perspective. If, you know, Commissioner Adam Silver has, you know, any curiosity about Kansas City's viability for a potential expansion team, you know, this is a heck of a test drive to give us, you know. It would not be unlike how Oklahoma City hosted the Hornets for a couple of years and then, you know, stole the Sonics from Seattle. And, you know, there's a little potential for some sort of financial bump here. Um, you know, the, the league has lost stacks and stacks of cash like pretty much everybody else. But, you know, attendance will be limited or, you know, even banned in arenas this year. I'm, I'm not sure that Kansas City wouldn't provide the best feasible shot at additional TV revenue. I'm not talking about billions of dollars, um, but Kansas City would be, I think, the biggest untapped NBA market that would make sense for a temporary Eastern Conference team. And, and I say that intentionally because, you know, Seattle probably makes the most sense um, for, for a team. You know, it's probably the best market that doesn't currently have a team, but they're not putting an Eastern Conference team in Seattle. Um, you know, same with Las Vegas. So um, anyway, the Kansas City Raptors, um, and <laughs> I, I'm not promising that I wouldn't always just call them the Kansas City Monarchs if, they, if this really happened, but, you know, the Raptors could basically present the league with an extra TV deal. Like, they'll, they'll always be bro- broadcast in Toronto. Um, they're incredibly popular there, but they could also get a local deal here to be broadcast in, you know, throughout the Midwest, one of the country's largest markets that doesn't already have an NBA or NHL team. Look, like, even if that's only like, you know, an extra $20 million or so, um, you know, that's 20 million or so more that they weren't getting otherwise, right? So um, I do believe that this is worth talking about. I also believe that people are overlooking the long shot part of this. You know, I've written two columns about this now. And they are both informed not just by the context of keeping in touch with people around this issue for the last few years, but it's also by, you know, more conversations that I've been having this week. Um, you know, from what I can gather, we have like, maybe a 10% chance at this, that might be overstating it. Um, You know, because I'm I'm telling you, if your friends are talking about this, you know, use what we're talking about here to just kind of dunk on them, right? Uh, Because we... Here in Kansas City, we, we think and talk a lot about all of our strengths, and um, they are many. It would be fun as hell to have the Raptors. But, you know, the Raptors are probably thinking a lot more about staying closer to Toronto, right? Um, the players are probably thinking a lot more maybe being in Newark, something like that. They could live in New York. Um, you know, the league is probably thinking about, you know, making the team and players happy and, you know, presenting the easiest and simplest schedule possible for the other 29 teams. You know, the the most direct way that I can think of saying this is, you know, we do a lot of thinking about Kansas City here in Kansas City, but how much are people thinking about Kansas City outside of Kansas City? You know, and that's the whole thing. And look, I maybe I'm the bearer of bad news here, um, but according to the people I'm talking to, you know, all this very public energy that's put toward the Raptors, it has generated a total of like one quick and minimalist response from the league. And, you know, this is a decision that that probably needs to be made in the next two weeks or so top. So, you know, you would think that if the NBA is interested, that there'd be, you know, heavier conversations going on. Um, I'm also hearing that the league has engaged other cities in this conversation, but, you know, not us. And, you know, look, like, honestly, like, I'm not (laughs) going to be crying over this at all. It would be incredible fun to have a team here, um, but we can also be realistic. It's, you know, one shortened season, right? Uh, with that best limited attendance. And, you know, like basically the Raptors are just like shacking up and getting out as quick as they possibly can. But, you know, the interest 
at least from my point of view, and I think most of the people involved in this, the interest has never been about getting the Raptors to be here for one year. It's been about having the Raptors for one year in order to show the league that we can be good stewards of a potential expansion franchise long term. Um, you know, Adam Silver and the NBA have a reputation for being very forward thinking. Um, they use crises as opportunities. And, you know, this is a group they <laughs> these guys plan two, three steps down the road. And I don't want to take any of this personally here at all because, you know, again, there are irrefutable reasons that make complete sense to keep the Raptors closer to, to Toronto or, you know, in the eastern time zone at least. And if that's all it is and Kansas City is just losing out because it's, you know, better set geographically for an expansion franchise than, a, you know, than it is for a short term host of an orphaned, you know, eastern conference team, then then cool. Like we haven't really lost anything. But it's hard not to think that if the NBA had interest in Kansas City you know, even long term, that it wouldn't just be more receptive or just like responsive, really, to this public interest, you know? Um, you know, th- there's a lot of ways this could go. And, um, you know, this is some of that behind the scenes stuff that doesn't make headlines. But, you know, maybe the people I'm talking to are actually engaged in the NBA uh, or with the NBA on in some level of talks, though that would be surprising to make the interest so public and the response so private, you know? Or, you know, I don't know, maybe the NBA has decided it doesn't have time for empty conversations if it believes Kansas City is more of a long-term fit than short-term. Though, you know, honestly, I don't know how long it takes to just say, like, thanks for the nice words, but we'll talk again when we get closer to expansion. But, you know, look, like, Kansas City's going to be fine no matter how this goes. We have the the most exciting player in the NFL quarterbacking the Super Bowl champions. We have the Royals. We have Sporting. We have, you know, Kansas Speedway, three major colleges, the Big 12 basketball tournament, on and on. Um the NBA would be gravy, right? Like delicious, like fulfilling edge of your seat gravy, right? Uh, but still gravy. And uh, I'm fine if we miss out on it, but it would be nice to miss out on it with a little bit more response from the league. Um, okay, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, um, this podcast is now free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to hit you up one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists covering the Chiefs beat, uh, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. You know, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Again, uh, you can join for $1 a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Uh, you can find those links online or just reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email and, and I'll send them along. Um, okay, a quick break, and then we will be back with some questions. Uh, if you'd like to participate in next week's show, that'll post on Friday after the <laughs> Le'Veon Bell Adam Gase blood war and uh, before the Panthers game next week. Please call 816 234 4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone, uh, call anytime 816 234 4365. Okay, a quick break, and then we will be back with those questions. Good morning, Sam. This is Frank from Kansas City. Uh, my question for Millinger Minutes is really more sports adjacent, not really um, a direct sports question, and it's really more like a soft and a question. Um, I've been thinking about the Chiefs and the NFL and even Patrick Mahomes get out the vote support, and I've seen some of their PSAs, which I think are terrific, but I'm really wondering um, whether those PSAs move the needle on getting people to vote.
My thought is, what if the NFL canceled practice on November 3rd and encouraged its athletes to drive around and visit polling places on Election Day? Those videos of the long lines really seem to discourage people from voting, but um, if you thought you might see a chief, you know, Chris Jones, Anthony Hitchens, Tyreek Hill, you might be encouraged to vote even if there's a long line. Um, my thinking is that it would be completely nonpartisan, uh, also no touching, no handshakes, um, no high fives, no long conversations, um, purely socially distanced, just walking and waving, um, no autographs. Um, but it would really just be giving people in line a respite from the long wait. Um, anyway, if you think this is a good idea, um, maybe you can alert the chiefs. I certainly don't know how to do that. Um, but uh, anyway, I love your podcast. Uh, I love the way it mixes sports with other topics as well. And uh, uh, thanks again. Well, thanks for the kind words, Frank. Uh, much appreciated. And, uh, you know, this is a good thought. Like the short and real answer, and, you know, Frank alludes to this in the question, but the, the short and real answer here is that there is just no way something like this would happen this year. Um, the league and the players, and this is even truer in Kansas City with the Chiefs, they just have, you know, too much at stake here to be doing public appearances like that. You know, you saw what the Raiders went through a month or so back, you know, when they had some players that did a, a charity function indoors without masks. And, um, you know, the Chiefs just aren't going to put their players out like that during a pandemic. So, you know, that's the short answer. But I think the longer answer is also interesting because, you know, we're not always going to be in a pandemic, right? Like, we're not always going to have guidelines about masks and distancing and public gatherings and all that. And, you know, presumably, you know, hopefully even by the next election cycle, we'll have a vaccine. You know, stadiums will be full, uh, closer to normal. Um, you know, I, and I, I checked with a few people who know a lot more about this than I do. And nobody I talk to anyway is aware of any sort of like election laws that would prevent, you know, public appearances like that. So, uh, you know, obviously, as long as they do it like you're describing, Frank, like nonpartisan, right, you know. Patrick Mahomes can encourage you to vote and he can show up at a polling place to get you motivated, um, you know, or to make your wait in line feel a little bit shorter or whatever. But when he's there, he can't be, you know, campaigning for anybody. He can't be telling you who to vote for. So, you know, as long as that goes, I think it's a great idea. And, you know, Tyron Matthew, he, he talks sometimes about this idea of like making voting cool. And, you know, he's been pretty open about this. I think he even said that he's never voted before because he never thought that his vote mattered. And he's had a change of perspective on that, which, you know, I think is great. Like, we should all vote. And, you know, anything he does, you know, and I guess I disagree with Frank a little bit here when he said that, um, you know, PSAs don't really matter. I, I think they can work. Um, I think that athletes, like right or wrong, and this could be a topic for another week, but right or wrong, athletes have influence when they speak on certain things. And, you know, I do believe that some people in Kansas City will vote because Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew are talking about it. Same as, you know, I think some people in Seattle will vote because of Russell Wilson. I think some people in Baltimore will vote because of Lamar Jackson and so on and so on. And, you know, it sure would provide a little extra if these guys, you know, visited polling places, right? Um, you know, and I agree with Frank on that. Like the NBA, the, or I'm sorry, the NFL, like freeing folks up on election day and, you know, players putting real time into it, that would be action to go on top of the words that, um, you know, about getting more people involved. So, you know, during a pandemic, yes, like I completely understand why the league doesn't want its stars out doing public events. But, you know, once this is over, yeah, I, I think this is a great idea. Um Okay, uh, here's an interesting question about um, about Andy Reid. Hey, Sam, this is Dave in Overland Park. Um, just listened to had a chance to listen to your most recent podcast, and my question is: after watching a Netflix movie that's just out now on chess, 
excellent movie. I recommend it. I was wondering if you knew if Andy Reid plays chess, because you could see a lot of similarities between being a great chess player and being an offensive uh, mastermind. Thanks a lot. Bye. I don't, um, but that analogy is used a lot in sports, right? Like not just football, but, you know, play designs in basketball, bullpen usage in baseball, you know, different formations in soccer, different strategies in tennis, you know, so on and so on. Um, but I do think you're hitting on something really important about Andy Reid. And it's something that gets like 1% of the attention of his like, you know, his pump passing kick appearance. But this is a million times more relevant to who he is and, and how he operates. The story has been told before a few times, um, but it's worth repeating because, you know, I've always thought this is one of the best ways to understand Andy Reid. Um, his mom was a radiologist and his dad was an artist. And if you think about that, you know, both sides of the brain are firing, right? Like that that's two hugely influential people in his life that come from, you know, the, these kind of different worlds, in, or at least in how they see the world, how they analyze the world. Um, you know, cold, analytical science from his mom, you know, free-flowing, creative, you know, building, stuff like that from his dad. And that's, that's the whole package. Um, I'd even go one step more. I think it matters that those influences in his life were, were attracted to each other. Right, that 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 different, you know, different perspectives can come together um, and 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 work together. And I also think that it matters that his mom, that it was it was the mom that was the radiologist and the dad that was the artist. That goes against you know traditional gender roles, especially if you think about when when Andy Reid was growing up. You know, his mom was among she was among one of the first female radiologists in the country. And you know, that's a lot of potential preconceived notions that just never exist for a kid when he grows up like that. And, you know, there's there's no template for how two people are supposed to think in order to work well together. There's no boundary about, you know, what can or can't be achieved based on how a person looks or anything else superficial. Um, you know, what matters is the work. What matters is the results, the process. And I've always just thought that's so revealing about how this man thinks and operates. And, you know, to me, that's a heck of a platform. If you grow up like that, that is a heck of a platform to be able to have this remarkable career where, you know, he's been in a job where the turnover is often every, you know, two or three years for a lot of teams, <clears throat> Jets. And, you know, Andy Reid's been at it for more than two decades. And, you know, to be in this job where it's a copycat league, but somehow he's the one that's being copied as many times as not. You know, I, I think there's there's a lot to that uh, with with how Andy Reid grew up. So you look, it doesn't explain everything about him, um, but it's the clearest, simplest window that I know of. Um, all right, cool. Uh, this, this, here's a question about our coverage team uh, at the Star. I'm hi. This is Rob Nassari from uh, Tennessee again. Hey, just a quick question: When you guys do your press conferences, uh, attend your press conferences as the A team. Uh, either live, obviously in pre-COVID or now with Zoom. Do you guys coordinate what you guys plan to ask so that you don't overstep each other and you're kind of in line or potentially someone asks a question that helps your story that you plan to publish sometime soon? Uh, I'm very curious on the dynamics of how you guys uh, function as a team. Thanks. So uh, the first thing to mention here is that, you know, the five of us all respect each other. We all get along. We all want to help. And I am intensely aware that that doesn't exist everywhere. And I'm lucky to have that kind of support. And I, I think the other guys would all tell you the same. Um, but we do talk. Uh, we talk every day, They're like on my phone. 
the text threads that get the most action. Uh, one of them is with, you know, Vahe, Sam, Herbie, and Blair. And the other is with my oldest friends in the world. And, you know, that's, that's usually how we ta- talk on those text threads. It's, it's the best way, the quickest, um, especially during games. And the way it works, like fair or not, is, you know, Vahe and I sort of have, you know, first shot at topics. And we'll usually start texting sometime in the second half. And, you know, here's shout out to blowouts, right? Uh, the Broncos game was a lot easier than, um, you know, some of the, the, the Chargers game, for instance. And, you know, what Vahe thinks about, what he sees is usually different enough from what I'm thinking or seeing that um, it usually works out between us. And then and then we're on the other thread, too, um, after that, like working out topics. And, you know, let's say between like Vahe and I, like one of us sees something in the quarterback and the other sees, you know, a more broad, like sort of big picture thing. And then maybe Herbie sees something about the defense that jumps at him. And, you know, McDowell wants to go jump on a particular play. Maybe Blair sees a coaching decision that turned out, you know, turned the game one way or the other. And there's usually some back and forth there. And, you know, it's always fairly quick. And then after that, you know, we find out who's going to show up for the press conference. And, um, you know, again, this was so much better when we could go into the locker room and get whoever we wanted to help us. And then, you know, obviously you, more importantly, understand like certain parts of the game better. Um, but that's, you know, sort of how we start thinking about what to ask. And, you know, at that point, there's not a real fear that, you know, any of us are going to be stepping on the other's toes. Um, though I, I do think it's worth pointing out, you know, last week, I think Sam McDowell made sure to ask a question for Vahe in a call with, with the Broncos. Um, just because Sam wasn't sure if Vahe would be able to get in on the call. And little, little stuff like that goes a long way when we're trying to help each other. So, um, you know, I've been covering this team like, geez, like this is my 11th season covering them every day. And, um, you know, this is obviously different than everyone this year, or different for everyone, I should say, this year. But uh, I'm also like I'm just less concerned uh, with how different each of our pieces need to be. Like I used to think it was super important that we only use a quote once, for instance, right? But I think the way people consume stuff now is so different that it's it's okay if the same quote is in my column and, you know, Herbie's game analysis. That's probably that's even truer now just because there's less post game stuff to be had. Um, you know, so that's how we do it. Um, hopefully it's good. So okay, guys, um another great round of questions. Thanks so much for this. Uh one more time. If you'd like to participate in next week's show Please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. One more time. Uh, Here's the number. Put it in your phone. Call anytime. 816-234-4365. One more quick break, and then we are back with the mayor. Okay, um, as promised, here's my conversation with Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas, who I believe has just become the first two-time guest on this podcast. So, um, you know, obviously, congratulations to him for that. Uh, We talked about the city's push for the Raptors uh, to potentially spend the upcoming NBA season in Kansas City. Look, like Lucas is a politician, (laughs) and and part of the job as mayor is to be the cheerleader for the city. Uh, But I also thought he was honest here. Um, He talked about some of the challenges, some of Kansas City's strengths. Uh, the reasons for doing this beyond, you know, just this a presumed one-year rental. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. I also gave him a mulligan. Um, I heard an interview he did with Carrington Harrison on uh, 610 Sports the other day in which he said that Rick Barry, <laughs> sorry, I can't say that without laughing, but he said that Rick Barry was his favorite dunker of all time. And um, obviously I could not let that go without asking what in God's green earth he meant by that. But um, okay, uh, here's the conversation. Can you just like sort of, 
ballpark this about like how realistic this is. It looks like an opportunity, but Buffalo's closer, and they they had the Blue Jays. What, what, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, I mean, here's how I see it. We want to make sure that we are uh, available and attractive if the opportunity should present itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of the sports blogs everybody else does. I know there's been talk lately the Canadian government may find a way to either create an exemption for visiting teams or or change its kind of immigration policy, that sort of thing. Clearly, if Prime Minister Trudeau and all those folks come up with that sort of determination, then uh, this isn't happening because I assume they can make a lot of money, um, you know, in Toronto itself, their TV contracts, et cetera. Um, but in the event that there is some real looking that is in the United States, part of what got me into this idea uh, was a few folks that have been working on um, NBA relocation opportunities in Kansas City for a few years now uh, that reached out to me since uh, everybody has a cell phone number. Um, and, <laughs> you know, they said, you know, look at what's happening in Louisville. Um, Kansas City should be playing this. And, you know, comparing to sports cities, and I mean, with, that, with all respect to Louisville, but when you look at Kansas City as a major league city, not just our support of the Chiefs, which has been exceptional, uh, our continually strong baseball ratings, even with the Royals, haven't necessarily been outstanding on the field length. Uh, the fact that we have been a strong pro sports team and in our previous relationship with the NBA, even if when I was a baby, uh, suggests to me the sort of thing we should make a go at. Oh, and add the fact that um, since Sprint Center has been rebranded to T-Mobile Center, there's been an investment of millions of dollars into the arena. I mean, there was enough there to get me to say, you know, this is worth getting some of our, you know, creative juices flowing. And so that means engaging with our uh, congressional delegation. Uh, I think that Morgan Saeed in my office will probably be sending you our letter. Um, I assume we have most of our senators and Congress people, although I will note that uh, Senator Hawley has had some um, interesting interactions with the National Basketball Association of late. But uh, look, we we get that this is something that could be a big deal if we were landing. Is it, you know, is it the only Quint Lucas plan for helping Kansas City survive 2020? Absolutely not. It would be preposterous. But it is the sort of thing where, look, big cities get ready for big events like this and uh, or big opportunities, and you say, hey, if they're looking, we might as well try to be as attractive as we can. I lived in upstate New York for law school. I think we're certainly, I guess they call it central New York. Uh, I think we uh, compete favorably against Buffalo. I think we compete favorably against Louisville and uh, be a clear choice, particularly if the Raptors wanted to expand in market presence and a kind of, you know, to them, random part of the United States, right in the middle, where they could grow an outstanding presence. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't have to tell you this, but like the the circumstances of this would be just eerily similar to how Oklahoma City got a team. Um, w- would you be, and I'm not pretending that you're working 24/7 on this, but um, w- would you be putting the same effort into this if you didn't believe that there was a possibility that one season could lead to, you know, a permanent franchise like Oklahoma City? I probably would not. Um, it would be, and, and that's what I think some people aren't understanding because they're like, yeah, why put so much into this? But yeah, you look at, think about where sports, particularly NBA expansion in middle America looked before New Orleans went up to Oklahoma City for that year. I've had a chance to talk to former Kansas City Mayor Kay Barnes who recounted to me a conversation he had with David Stern 20 years ago or something like that where, you know, he said the NBA will never be in Kansas City. Um, you know, you can build your arena, but it's not And I think Oklahoma City really did show how a market um, 
smaller than ours, actually, could make mm-hmm. itself really competitive. You build an outstanding facility, you show amazing band support, and, uh, and you make the dollars and cents work. There are people right now in Kansas City who are trying to make the dollars and cents work um, and making progress on that. But I think, yeah, the opportunity to have a test run, we understand these are different times, so it's not so much as nobody's filling up an, an arena anywhere probably in the first two quarters of 2021. So, you know, that's not happening. But, you know, you get a team on TV, you see what the ratings are like here in Kansas City, you see the engagement um, from things ranging from apparel sales to interest online to, you know, the star wants to put an NBA column just out for a few months. I mean, those are the sorts of things that tell the Raptors, uh, the NBA more broadly, that this is a city that we should really look at. And I think right now, my concern is a lot of the relocation conversations, Seattle, understandably, huge place. I think they had a pretty good following. Um, you know, and I think you can't be to really be able to compete there if we can do well with this. I would say if I was, you know, sitting in Adam Silver's office, which, uh, you know, I'm certainly not, but, uh, you know, I would ask the question, is it better to basically go to a Buffalo, which is a, in some ways, a related or sub-market of Toronto already, or do you really want to test out a market to be very different? This wouldn't just be the Blue Jays playing nearby in Buffalo. This is instead the record getting an opportunity to get front eyeballs as part of the country where the NBA brand presence only grows strong. Yeah, yeah, um, that that seems like the um, the case to make, right? Like may, maybe you just answered this question actually, but um, you know, part of Oklahoma City was that the Hornets went from. I just looked this up today. They went from their dead last in attendance their last year in New Orleans, and then they jumped up to 11th, and they got Chris Paul, and it was a better team and all that. But um, you know, without I, I would assume that if we got the team that there'd be 2000 or 20, you know, like you guys would limit the attendance on some ways. So, so how do you think that, like, how would the tryout be judged then? Is it just strictly TV ratings and t-shirt sales or are there other ways that, that you think it could be looked at? Yeah. You know, it's a tough one. So yeah, first there would be that question. I think first in the NBA side of um, what is the play going to be with fans? I do think that football, which is a different sport, but uh, you know, shows, at least a model that has now been adopted more broadly than just Kansas City. We were kind of out front at the beginning of the season in the percentage capacity, social yeah. distance, everybody wearing masks. I think, you know, depending on where we are with our COVID-19 challenges, that is something that at least one might want to explore um, even in a cavernous indoor venue. I mean, nobody, by the way, and I'm not I'm not reckless, nobody's saying that, you know, we're going to try to get 19,000 in there. That would be irresponsible. Uh, sure. But... I think, yeah, the way you measure it, to the extent that there is any type of seating relationship, even local sponsorship relationship, um, then mm-hmm. you see what types of sales and interests are there. Is, you know, are Midwest, insert your automobile dealers, interested in, you know, sponsoring Toronto Raptors, you know, basketball, not just on television, but also corporate sponsorship link-ups, all those sorts of things. Really... I think a lot of the monetary questions are at the core, if we're being honest, of how relocation and other certain decisions are made. Um, you know, yeah. relocation is not based, nor is, you know, is team location anymore, I think based just on who's the biggest market um, and who's the biggest market that's open with the sure. you know, Rams and Chargers selling the L.A. spot and the NFL. I think that was the last of those great kind of open spots, whereas now I think it is, 
how does the city sell, how is the city working with the team, uh, how how agreeable are you and easy to work with are you with the ownership group, and how much does your business community support, and in the way that you see amazing support achieved, uh, and the Royals, I think there's yeah, a question of do we have the appetite to uh, support a team even if temporarily, and so you're right, on the core measurements, it won't be your total attendance gain, if there is any level of attendance, probably what do ticket sales look like, is what I'd imagine is a premium price to get in. Uh, the aforementioned ratings, sponsorship, uh, and then I think those corporate connections with any type of uh, ownership group is here for the wall. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, you you probably know better than I do on this, but my, my understanding of part of how the Sunder came to be was that an owner emerged once they saw that, um, you know, that they had this oil tycoon or whatever. Um, I'm not asking you to name names unless you want to. And I'm all for that. But do, do you have like a person or, or, you know, a handful of people that you know of that like have the money and potentially the interest in doing this long term? You know, the extent that I've, I've been in conversation, I've been in a few. Uh, I think you have a lot of what the Royals ownership model is looking like. Uh, yeah. We certainly have a lead. Uh, we don't uh, have necessarily a football suit to play Bennett, right? But, uh, you know, I don't know if if there's one who's looking to take that, that level of step. There are a few people that can do that in this city. But mm-hmm. I think when you look at is there a way that we can get enough money tied around in the, you know, the high-value areas either to purchase a team or make a case where, you know, let's say a, you know, a Gail Benson is going to say, where can I make some money on my franchise in a way that I'm not right now? And maybe yeah. in, I think there is a play that we can make there and a, a really attractive one as well. Okay. What is, can you, I don't mean this as a joke, but like, can you quantify Patrick Mahomes' influence in this, like beyond Twitter likes and stuff like that. I mean, he obviously has ownership in another team. Like, it, it, would he have like some real, actual, tangible juice in in this situation? You know, I think it's as a you know, it's a mayor who's a quirky story that ends up on the back end of a local newscast. Um, you know, if it's just me saying, "Hey, we should have the Raptors," and we pass the council resolution, you know, people kind of care. You know, you all might uh, care a little bit in in sports journalism Kansas City, but I do think that. Uh, a Patrick, look, if, if the NFL, which is North America's biggest league measured by eyeballs impact revenue, uh, at least in North America, um, you know, if its biggest star is saying this is important and this is a market in America, I think that merits great attention. In the same way, if tomorrow LeBron James, and I'll be honest, LeBron James says something cool about the Chiefs, like, I want to own a part of them. Everybody would be like, oh, my God, LeBron James wants to own a part of the Chiefs. Fuck, you should talk. Not selling it, but rank that sort of level. I mean, it's, and yeah, I think we're seeing uh, Patrick Mahomes solidify himself on that level, that sort of level, exceedingly quickly. I mean, he's still very young. Uh, the team, you know, looks amazing this year as well. It looks like we see for years to come. It's a great move. So, yeah, I, I think. Patrick Mahomes does have that, that level of influence. And in a way, it's kind of different, perhaps, and I say this uh, with no disrespect to politicians, but if you hear the story of the Chiefs relocating to Kansas City, there's a lot about Mayor H. Rowe Bartle, you know, talking to Lamar Hunt. 
and can't study business because of cancer. And that's, that's cool, and that's what's really important. But I think the real story now is how do you how do you get your city attention? How do you make sure your city's got a plan? How do you have not just other players, but owners, marketers, and others excited about what's going on? Well, you have one of the most marketable, one of the best players around to be a part of that company. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, the, the last thing I'm going to ask you, Quentin, I think you're going to want this one on on the record. Uh, you, uh, you you know I like you, but I, I listened to the interview that you did with Carrington. Yeah. And did you say that Rick Barry is your favorite dunker? <laughs> Man, I'm just remembering. I did say that, and that was crazy. <laughs> Uh, look, it was it was a great dunk. I don't even remember the like midnight. You know how weird we are when we're kids. So, uh, you know, I was. <laughs> now, I'm thinking of Rick Barry actually. So like, no, Rick Barry. Uh, that's just poor choice. Okay, okay, you meant you meant Brent Barry. I meant Brent Barry. Okay, I actually think I remember the dunk you're talking about. It was a good dunk. Yeah. See, there we go. I uh, Rick. Yeah. I was, I get confused, and I'll admit it, but yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Right. Um, Brent Barry. Uh, yes, Brent Barry, not Rick Barry. Um, that was quite the dunk contest in 1996, too. Um, and if my math is right, that would have happened when Lucas was uh, 11 years old. So obviously I can see why he'd be, you know, an impressionable young man um, around that time. So anyway, um, just wanted to put the entire conversation here so you guys could get a little bit more context and, and information about what's happening. Again, I've got two columns on on this on the website right now, KansasCity.com. I hope you check it out. Uh, the first kind of outlines the possibilities here uh, with three irrefutable takeaways that will remain true no matter what happens with the Raptors. And, you know, this, the second one is a little bit more of a complete view um, informed with the conversations with people here locally, uh, as well as some in the NBA. So there are some major, major challenges here and a lot of reasons to believe this will never happen. But there's also a sliver of hope. Um, and, and the columns are, you know, kind of about all of that. So, um, okay, uh, that's the show this week. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope we're worth your time. And if I can impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, reviewing. It really helps us get the word out. Thanks, as always, to Savannah Smith for putting this together. Um, thanks to Mary Lucas for the time. Thanks to everyone who called in, even those we couldn't get to this week. And again, uh, the biggest thanks to you for listening. Uh, let's do it again next week. All right, have a good weekend. Be kind.